everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Another episode of EV Unfounded. Today, I'm having this amazing guest, Martina Kwong. Is that how I pronounce your last name? I just want to make sure. Kwong. And I actually found her to, this is really amazing because one of my good friends and clients is, is a driver, race car driver. And he always said, you're all about strong women and supporting women. You've had to meet this girl, Martina Kong. So I look her up and sure enough, he was right. I was so impressed by you, Martina. I, I wanted to meet you in person. And when I was looking at your Instagram, I realized, first of all, you are beautiful and the photo are amazing. And you also ride horses. I love horse. Um, and then I noticed we also have a mutual friend who's one of my best friends. And then we just had her on our podcast, Helen Zad. And I right away called my girlfriend, who's like a sister to me, and say, hey, do you know this girl, Martina Cross? She's like, yeah, she's my teacher. I'm like, what do you mean? She's my racing car teacher. So I'm so honored and I'm so happy to have you to be on podcast. I wanted to know all about you. You have amazing story. And it, you know, we had a little chit chat because before I'm going to interview you, I want to know more about you. I realized you also uh, a dating coach. And that really excited me because, you know, I'm over 40. Here we go. Everybody now know my age. Uh, a lot of women in, in, in my age range are probably going to the, I don't know, second love or the true love. And we all got married early, have children, but I didn't know what that was true love. So right. I was looking at your story, how you left your marriage and pursue your freedom of be who you are. And now you're a dating coach for women. So tell me about it. I mean, I, I could go on and on talking about you, but I want you to tell us what's your story so more women can get inspired by you. Oh, uh, Yeah. So thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And oh, thank you. Yeah. So my story was, you know, I was um, lived my life. I have two beautiful daughters. They're in their teenage years. And but what I realized in my marriage is that I wasn't happy. So I moved here from uh, Miami Beach in 2013. And I just felt like, you know, I was a woman in my 40s and I felt like I was taking care of everyone else's needs but my own. And so I think also as, as women, as we grow older, we kind of lose our own identity because we're always taking care of the kids, the business. And, and I just found myself in a really unhappy place. And uh, yeah, I started going to the racetrack. That was one, one, one part of the story. But I really uh, realized when in 2016, I said enough is enough and I wanted to divorce. And um, I realized that my children were old enough that I could do it. And But what I realized is that before I could move on and really find, my dream was to find the love of my life. My dream was to find my soulmate, somebody that I could really get along with and that I could love who really understood me and I understood him. But I realized that, you know, it takes two to tango. So while my relationships, I was actually married twice. Both times didn't work out. But what I realized is that I was attracting the wrong man the whole, oh, wow. you know, all of my life. And I found that most of the women that I work with and that, that I talk to 
it's the same thing. It's like the wrong fit. It's like some something that doesn't fit, right? So the goal is to find somebody that does fit. So uh, through all the work that I did on myself, I was then able to meet Dwayne DeMent, who is my soulmate. And we met six years ago, and it's been the most incredible six years of my life. And so what wow. I've done is, you know, packaged what I learned uh, into something that is pretty easily understood and really fun to do for, for women in their 40s who are single, single again, to meet their soulmate in three to six months. And how did you, what was the thing, you know, you noticed that a woman was attracting the wrong men? I mean, you're right. When you said that, it really hit me hard because if I look back to my dating history, none of them work, obviously, because or else I wouldn't be single, right? And, and then I do keep saying, oh, here we go again. Or this is uh, David number two or David number three or da the David lookalike, you know? So it's, it's, it's almost like an inside joke among our girlfriend or good girlfriend. But there's yeah. some truth to that because you're right. We keeping attracting or calling in the wrong person, and I is it us or what is it? Yeah. Well, what I like to say is that we need to fix our broken picker. So it's like the 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 us picking the wrong men is having the wrong GPS on on the picker. Oh, I love that. And so, uh, you know, the first step in what I do, what I teach is we really need to fix it. We need to send that picker to the shop. It needs to get it fixed permanently before we can attract or I, call in our, I like our the way. <laughs> I love the way you give an example because it relates to your other, your obviously your professional, but hobby to professional car racing. Yeah, but mm -hmm. I totally get it. I follow you here. Okay, yeah. so I definitely really excited about the fact you do this and you definitely hit the, the key because when you said that we keep being attracted to same pattern, yeah, we do because it is is it's the same thing, right? So we so we have to to fix it or align our GPS as, yeah. as you called it. But how how does how does that for you to leave your marriage? I mean, I know you know you have two children, two daughter, and for you just decide this is not it. This is not for me. And you were at the age over forty. Did you were you not? I mean, I've seen go I'd be for a very long time. I can't imagine you either, or at least probably from other people looking from outside looking in, like you have a perfect marriage, you know, you have a husband, you have two beautiful daughter. Like what was it that take you to make that decision and leave? Yeah. Well, it actually took six years. So from 2011. Six year. Wow. I think as a mother, um, I had the op obligation to really make sure. So did so many hours of marriage counseling, which doesn't work. And finally, when I came here, I, 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 you know, I was turning 50 in 2016. And I said, enough is enough. You know, at some point, um, you know, we each have a cup. And at some point, it fills over. And when it fills over, we need to change. We have to say, you know what? I'm not going to accept the past, the, the person that I was with. 
Um, there's no respect there. There are so many things that are missing. And I don't want to live the second part of my life with somebody that I don't care for. You know, I want to meet somebody who there's this passionate, wonderful love with somebody who we really look into each other's eyes and it's my soulmate. And so that's why I said, you know, that's it. Like, forget it. It was actually on a horse in Dubai that I said, enough is enough with my marriage. Well, did, did you live in Dubai at that point? Were you? I was your... actually there. I was there for a business trip. And okay. I said, you know what? I, I got on a horse and I always used to love to horseback ride as a child. Oh. And um, being on a horse kind of reminded me of who Martina Kwan was. Oh, you know and, what? You're right. You have a horse painting behind you and a yeah. racing car. <laughs> this is totally you. Yes. And so I missed being me. And, and I was me when I was a child, when I was horseback riding and I would go to the stable and yeah. it was like Martina Kwan. And so for so many years, I put that girl on the back burner, you know, and I realized that even though I had kids, it's also important for you to be happy, right? To not show your kids um, pretend like you're happy when you're not. Yeah. Um, so at that point on the horse, I was like, enough is enough. I'm just going to do this. And it was really the best decision of my life. And when I told the girls um, that I was divorcing, they said, mommy, can't you keep pretending? Uh, how old were they? They were um, six, seven years younger. So around 10, oh, 11, wow. 12. And I said, no, mommy, can't keep pretending. And so I think one of the most important things we can do as women in general is to be a role model, right? We want to live the way uh, yeah. and we want to live truthfully to ourselves and be role models to other women, but also to our kids. Yeah. So to me, one, one of the parts of my story is I know that I've inspired a lot of other women to leave yeah. a marriage that was not happy. And you know, there are so many opportunities and a lot of, and the other thing is about the age. I left when I was 50. Yeah. And I want to tell women that, you know, if you believe in yourself, anything's possible at any age. If you're unhappy, just get out of there. Forget it. Don't take it. See you later. Bye-bye. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's take a lot of courage because even people that did have kids do not have kids they still don't want to leave the long-term marriage because they feel like they're not going to find mm -hmm. another one. Especially when they reach the age, certain age, you think that, oh, I guess my life is pretty much done. Who, who else I'm going to find? So how did you find your soulmate? So he actually turned out to be my race coach. Oh. So, <laughs> so at the racetrack. So we were both married and we were both unhappily married and um, he became our race coach at Porsche Honors Club. And, you know, for the first few years, we got in the car, he coached me, we would look at the track map, we would talk about when to throttle, when to brake and, you know, kind of just very, very professional. And then once we decided to divorce our, our partners, we started talking about horses and he said that he always loved horses and he had a lot of horses when he was, um, you know, earlier on in his grown up life. And 
uh, I but you was, didn't even realize that. I, I mean, didn't all the realize. Yeah. So a few years, we didn't talk about anything but the racetrack. And then when we talked about horses, I was like, wow, that's really great. So we went horseback riding. I could see that he was an incredible horseman, like a horse whisperer. And I think that's where the love started because we, we shared something. We love racing, but we also shared the passion of horses and everything that goes with it, the countryside. And we live here at Willow Springs. We have the animals in the back, including a horse. Aww. And it's so wide open. My dream as a child was always to live on a farm. You so manifested. I, yeah. yeah. You manifested. Here I am living on a farm with my soulmate on the racetrack. Yeah. On the racetrack. So everything you love is in one place. I mean, did you ever imagine that's how your life's going to be? It's like amazing. No. So I, I didn't, but I think the other thing I want to mention about, about dating and finding the soulmate is when you're true to yourself, when you find out, discover, you know, we forget who we are. When we remember again, and that's, we go through different exercises to remember who we are then you can find a person and you'll already know you meet someone you say uh, uh that's not the person so uh the picker doesn't even have a chance to do the wrong thing it points you in the right direction because you know who you are and you know who you want so i think that's really important that we forget and there's no wavering so the other thing is oh there's um, no wavering i'm taking no notes. wavering okay right so if, if you if you're not sure that's not it <laughs> Right. Exactly. There's no wavering. There's no making excuses or or just saying, okay, this once, all that is no, no, no. Like the person's not for you. Okay. Move on. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. I just learned yeah. something because yes, you're right. I think a lot of time women, we tend to make excuses and we're like, well, yes. maybe. And then I think it's because we fear that we're not going to find anyone. Right. Or I don't know. You're right. Cause we always, or confused but pretty much if you find a one you won't feel confused you would know okay yeah. so how is horse and car related i i guess how did you got into horse as a hobby because i know that's something you love when you were a little girl and, yeah. and it's kind of bring you back to who you who you are who you were as a little girl yeah. too but how did you got into racetrack which is mostly men, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And so uh, in Miami, in 2011, I was finally able to afford my dream car, the Porsche 911. And, you know, it's it's an aspirational car. It's something that you work towards um, as you get more successful in business and in life. And I really love, love the car. But, you know, Miami's flat. There's no... Um, exciting places to go. But when I moved here to California, we lived in the Palisades and right near the Sunset Drive and Oh, PCA. it's all curvy. Yeah. All curvy, Mulholland Drive. And I remember it was so fun to get in the car and kind of leave the kids at home with my ex-husband and just be myself again and have that time in the car. It was kind of like the only time when I had time for myself. So I enjoyed being in the car and I really love like blasting loud music and really just going and having the windows down and enjoying, enjoying the 
freedom, the freedom of, of being not a mom for a while, you know? <laughs> you have a look for freedom in you. Like you want your freedom. I can sense that. Just like the horse, you know, you can never control, control a horse because you have to let them not run free, but you need to let them to be who they are, right? Have the freedom. So, okay. So the racing card gave you that. that. That's so important for in a relationship is to let each person be who they are and, and to understand what what their desires are. But yeah, not only am I a horse, I'm a fire horse. <laughs> ah, yeah. okay, wow. Wait, and I so made you, my race car a fire horse, by the way. Oh, you did. And then, yeah. But you got into racing track much later also, right? So were you yeah. not scared? Were you like nervous when you get into this? And professionally, because I see all the award that you got. So yeah, how that even happened? So I just started going to the racetrack, you know, every so often. And it was fun and I really enjoyed it. I worked on Wall Street earlier, so I didn't get intimidated that when I walked in the room, it was all men for the most yeah. part. And it still is mostly men. And yes. I really, I'm very competitive. So I really like, you know, uh, when there's a competition and you can win, you know, you can win first place. It's, it's exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. So I decided, you know, I wanted to, um, and it's by the year. So like, let's say with Porsche Owners Club, the champion starts at the beginning of the year and you bring a car, like a certain class. So I started in one class, which was completely stock won the championship in 2017 and then what, I modified what, what the guy was like shocked the winner was actually a wooded um I think yeah they were a little surprised I think uh when a woman wins but then I think I've always had very good experiences with other male drivers they're very respectful and can commend you on winning and then the next year I modified my car a little bit uh, to modified four and won that championship and then the following year I modified it now it's a race car in down here in the shop that's not street legal anymore and I won that championship oh, and I uh, have to see it you have to send some picture I can't wait to look at it it's on your Instagram yeah. it's on yeah. your Instagram okay we're gonna go look for it we're gonna post that okay yeah yeah I'll send you pictures as well but in the meantime I had won the championships and I was at Cars and Copters, which is a show down in Huntington Beach. And the former FIA technical director, Gabrielle Kachinger, you know, FIA technical director is a huge position in the world of racing. He walked over and uh, he had said, I had heard, Martina, that you're a great driver and we want you to think about driving for us at Celine which is an American company. And so he handed me this brochure and uh, it was uh, expensive. It was 425,000 for seven races. Wow. I didn't know race could be cost yeah. money. <laughs> no it, idea. It costs a lot. And so I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to graciously bow out of this opportunity. I don't think I, I would like to do that at this time. And uh, they said, well, we would like you to drive. So we'll, we'll fund, fund the drive. It'll be a free, free seat with Celine in the GT World Challenge. And it's something that's kind of unheard of in the history of racing that you get these opportunities. Um, 
I was so thankful. It was pretty incredible to then become an FIA licensed uh, race car driver. We uh, just a month later, we flew to Beijing and I performed in the Olympic Stadium in Beijing in front of 25,000 people and raced at You Portland. must make them proud because you have Chinese. You must yes. be like, that's all people. <laughs> it yes. was so, so amazing. Honestly, I'm half Chinese from Hong Kong and, and half German. And to go back to Asia and to represent Chinese people was pretty amazing. And um, they were so proud as well. They were clapping. And then when we oh. got back to the hotel, there were some children, Chinese kids who, you know, it was funny. They would walk past the American drivers like, oh, don't care about them. Where's Martina Kwan? We want your autograph. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. It was and, so cute. And especially yeah. as a woman, can you imagine all this little girl must be like, oh, well, you know there yeah. was some women that yeah it was boy, so little boys and little girls and they were yeah. so happy, you know because we I remember as a child like I did not have a Barbie that looked like me so I was playing I love Barbies but they were all blonde with blue eyes you know and I'm half Chinese so um I think it's really great to be like a real life role model for uh Chinese kids yeah, because you also grew up in Hong Kong when you were little, right? So you ex you were exposed to the Asian culture. Tell I don't when did you move again? How long were you leave Asia? Yeah, so I was there for eight years, and then we moved to Beirut, Lebanon, uh, for two years. So I kind of moved moved around. We were in Hong Kong first, and then Beirut, Lebanon. We left because of the war, and we moved to my mom's hometown in Hamburg, Germany. And then we moved to Bahrain, the kingdom of Bahrain and the Arabian Sea, and then to Amsterdam, wow. to Hamburg, and then I started college in Switzerland. You know, I I, I can't tell what, what race you are, especially all the country that you just mentioned that you have lived and yeah, you that you have lived. I I I would have a hard time identifying you as what what nationality you are. Did you have that issue when you were growing up? Do people always try to figure out and guess what you are? Like, are you Asian? Are you German? Are you Lebanese? Are you Middle Eastern? You know, because you you can be, you literally can be everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. Well, as a child, um, when when we lived in Hong Kong, I felt like I wasn't Chinese enough because we're half and half. So it was kind of a little confusing growing up being Eurasian. And then in Germany, I wasn't German enough. So it was kind of this juxtaposition of, of who am I and my identity. And I honestly didn't realize um, it didn't really matter, you know, what, what I am and that I'm my own person till I had my first child when I was 38. So it took that long to really kind of get get a hold of you know, home is where the heart is. It's not like a country, yeah. you know? So, I but I remember being in, in England, uh, my grandma, they had a place, uh, they would actually go on the Queen Mary from Hong Kong to London, uh, you so know. So your, 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 your dad's mom, okay, so Asian. Okay, the Asian grandma. Yeah. Oh, how cute. My Asian <laughs> grandma. So we would go and, and meet them, my sister and I, and my grandma would be like, Martina, are you Chinese or are you German? And I was like, what? 
And it made me cry because I, I couldn't choose, you know, I can't choose which one I am. So I'm really happy though, to be, have grown up Eurasian. Like at the time it was a little confusing, but I'm happy to be multicultural and um, yeah, the kids are really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. did you ever get teased when you were at school, when you were little, they try to figure out what you are, but yeah. honestly, you so mixed that I, you can pass by, you can pass to be anything. So yeah. how did you, I mean, would the kids bully you or question who you are? Not yeah. really. There was one boy in Germany, in my German school, Heinrich Herzschule. I, I, I remember this uh, always. Is he, uh, I was going from one building to the other and it was a German boy, like blonde, blue eyes. And he said, ching chang chong. And I was so mad. I was so hurt. It really, it really affected me. I have to say for, uh, for a while, like I literally would dye my hair lighter and kind of make, well, wear makeup to kind of hide the fact that I was Chinese. So all I have to say is, um, you know, they have the saying that sticks and stones can't hurt you, <laughs> but okay. words can, uh, six, uh, Words can't hurt you, but sticks and stones can. And what I want to tell people is that words can hurt you as well. Like, especially if you're a young, young person, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the way I look. And, you know, when we moved to Bahrain, it was like a really exotic and beautiful thing to be Eurasian. Like it's very desired. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. In Germany. Yeah, in Germany, it was sort of, you know, it, we weren't sure like how how it was perceived. But yeah, so what I want to tell tell people is, you know, don't let anyone tell you how to feel, but also to other people is to be sensitive to uh, not saying things that could be mean to other people, to other kids. So by moving all those places, how that how how did you build a resilience? I mean, do you get used to moving to places? Because you move a lot as a little kid. And and did you miss your friends? Because I always think that, you know, the biggest thing, the most stressor for little kids is moving because you have to meet new friends again. So yeah. how that make any impact on you? Was it negative or positive? Well, I think it was hard to move. And I remember when my sister, my sister is two years older, and then I have one who's seven years younger. And my older sister and I, we were pretty close in school because, you know, we moved so much. So it was really great having her, Veronica, with me. And I remember when we left Bahrain, we were crying on the plane when we were flying to Amsterdam. But then we made new friends. And what we did is we were very involved with sports. So Veronica and I were you know, on the tennis team, the swim team, track and field team, varsity volleyball, varsity, uh, you know, basketball, like everything. So whenever we went to a new school, what we did is we just joined the sports teams and we did really well. And so we were kind of always accepted in the popular groups. And it wasn't that hard for us to make new friends, but it was really sad to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And then after yeah, my sister graduated and moved to the United States, but we moved back to my mom's hometown in Hamburg. So I already had friends there from before. So what made you decide to reside in the United States? How, how that happened from all this, all this many countries that you have lived? 
And I, I have to ask you, where's your favorite country to live? And you can be honest. Well, before I moved to the States, Switzerland, I so love so Switzerland. So beautiful. I love nature. I love animals and, you know, the cow pastures and the cowbells and skiing. It's beautiful in the summer, the waterfalls. So I really love Switzerland a lot. Um, but here I have to say where I am right now is at the waste track in Antelope Valley. It's the Mojave Desert. I've always had this affinity towards living in the desert. When we lived in Bahrain, it was the desert. When I went to Dubai and I got on the horse and made the life change that was in the desert. So I love here where I am, Southern California in the desert. Wow. Okay, well, I'm glad that you love here since now you'd be closer to us for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you have your soul, they love your life. Uh, your two hobby, your horse, a card. I mean, you definitely living in your dream. But I, what was it that like make you to get where you are today? Because I wonder when you were going to the divorce, traveling, working for you know big company like KPMG. Did you ever thought you're gonna be where you are today? Never. I mean. Never. I mean, one one consistent thing is um, I always wanted to be successful. And one thing that I learned from living in war is uh, I daydreamed a lot. And I would have my uh, Barbies and Kens and a horse stable and horses. I already played with um, Barbies, horse Barbies, when I was eight to 10 during the war. And every night it was it's very scary with the bombs and the sirens and the rockets oh and gosh. explosions going off around our house. And we weren't sure if we were going to be the next ones, you know, for the bomb to hit our building. So during the day, I really wanted to escape. And I did it by playing with the Barbies. And I would daydream that I was in this beautiful, peaceful forest far away. And I was just riding and galloping and it just made me feel so peaceful. And a few years later, we left as refugees from Beirut and through gun Oh my God, you live in a refugee camp. Wow. Okay. We actually did. We left. We well, we left as refugees. And, oh, you and left moved as a to Germany. Okay. Got it. Got it. We left everything behind. We thought we could go back, so we only had a few suitcases. So my mom's German family would give us everything, clothing, and they helped us really get started. But so once we got settled, I found myself riding on a horse in a forest that was exactly like in my dream from in Beirut. And it really taught me a big lesson. And so whether you call it daydreaming or other people call it visualization, is when you're in whatever situation you are, you can always think about a better day um, something that you want to accomplish, like if you haven't reached a goal yet, you can always daydream or visualize what those goals are. So throughout my life, um, I had a 3D animation company. I said, you know what? We're going to win Emmys and we're going to win Telly Awards. So we won four Telly Awards and two Emmy Awards. Then I started a luxury outdoor furniture company and i wanted Wait, it to be also a furniture furniture company yeah <laughs> wow did you design the yeah. furniture wow so we designed and manufactured so i also envisioned winning awards and 
won nine furniture design awards and then started with the race car driving and wanted to win the championship. So I think no matter what, it's in your personality if you want to succeed. But even if you're not successful now and you want to achieve something, just think about what you want to achieve and the steps that you need to get there, right? You can't just dream and want like a certain amount of money or a certain amount of thing. You have to plan ahead of how are you going to get there? What are the steps that you need to take? And if you have the strong enough will, create a vision board, put all the things that you're dreaming of on there, look at it every day, and things will become, like you said, I manifested what I wanted out of yeah, life. Yeah, you totally did. I mean, where you are, where you live right now, you know, and who you with. And by talking to you, like everything you wanted, it kind of just come for you. So, okay, mm -hmm. so visualization, daydreaming, as you, that's that's what you thought you were doing, daydreaming as a little girl. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to be daydreaming, and then I'm going to daydreaming my soulmate too, but I need to fix the 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 GPS fix first. The broken picker, right? <laughs> the broken, yeah, the broken picker, or I fix my GPS first, but yes. Yeah. So I definitely, so you do dating coach. So if we, anybody who interested in that, they could definitely reach out to you, correct? Right? Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, so much, Martina. Oh, one more question. We always have this question for everyone who will okay. be on the podcast. What you have known today, what you learned, what would you tell the younger self of you if you could go back? Don't ignore the red flags. The mm. red flag is a red flag. If somebody presents himself as something, it, it is what it is. And so for don't waste your time with somebody that is not the person. Don't ignore the red flags. That's my advice. I'm inviting Adele. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Amy, <laughs> listen. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Martina. And hi, hopefully we can meet in person soon. Yes. I would love to meet you in person. So thank you Absolutely. so much. And, and everyone, looking forward to hear our podcast. Thank you. Thank you.